Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And normally, just so you know, we take the last two weeks of the year off. And we are also doing that this year. Are you going to cue the boo? <laughs> boo. <laughs> Come back. Work through the holidays. <laughs> How dare you? No, we're taking the last uh, we, we're taking the last two weeks of the year off uh, to celebrate the holidays with our families. But we wanted to make sure that we didn't leave you high and dry in case you're still just itching for that Aquademia content. <laughs> so what we're doing is we're releasing we're re-releasing a couple episodes from the past that uh, we thought are great choices for one of them is a great time for this time of year. And then next week's is going to be just a, a topic that we thought is super interesting that people liked. And I think more people might want to hear it if you missed it before. So this week we are re-releasing our holiday episode from 2019. It's titled Holiday Recipes with Chopped Champion Chef Chris Holland. And uh, it's a really, really cool episode where we talk to Chris about his experiences on Chopped, uh, his struggles with multiple sclerosis, and he also talks about some awesome ways to have some seafood incorporated into your holiday meals. So it's pretty awesome. That's why we're doing that, because we're not working this week. So (laughs) enjoy this re-release. Remember to subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen to podcasts so you can get every new episode directly downloaded onto your device as soon as it's available. And we are on Twitter at AquademiaPod. If you want to contact us, fill out our contact form located at globalseafood.org slash podcast. And if you are feeling generous and you want to give us a little holiday gift, we would really appreciate it if you took two minutes to go to whichever podcast platform you're listening on, especially Apple Podcasts, and uh, just give us a quick rating and review. Just a written review really helps us get on some of those charts and just get the show in front of more potential listeners to grow the community. So it's the gift that keeps on giving. That's right. That's the gift that gives that keeps on giving the whole year through. <laughs> Anyways, we want to thank you again for being a listener and wish everybody a wonderful, happy holidays, whichever winter holiday you may be celebrating. I hope it's fantastic and I hope you get to spend some time with family and eat a lot of delicious food, especially seafood. So we will talk to you next time. Thank you so much. Ciao. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. No, you're not. All right, fine. I'm not. <laughs> Elise is back. Yeah. In the house. <laughs> we told you you're a fan favorite. You were voted back on the island. Oh, wow. Thanks, Actually, guys. the episode that you were in Voted first... back on the island. <laughs> <laughs> is that how that works? <laughs> the, the first episode that you were in down at Ideal Fish is actually one of our most popular episodes. Oh, look at that. So it must be me. Are you reading um, a script, Sean? You said that last time. Did I? Because it's true. I didn't say that last time. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you no, didn't. He? At least no, you no, were here. Keep doing it. No, I said she's. <laughs> I, should see, I said she's. Uh, she's been on the show before, but that episode is like number three or four, top episode. So nice. There you go. And this one that we just recorded is going to be number one, probably. <laughs> More likely, but no, we're so not. Average ki- it out. It's like a bronze medal. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. We're not kicking Maddie off the show. She's just still. You sure? She's. Are you trying to challenge her? <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh. So we're going to have a podcast, podcast off. Podcast what do you call post, it? But yeah, we'll get you both behind the microphone and then see who can get the best transitions or something. Oh, <laughs> so the, man. It's called the Segway Challenge. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're not riding on Segways while they're doing it. Mm, good. Um, no, Maddie is still vacationing in Italy for some of the holiday season, so we're all very jealous about that. But when she comes back, we'll make sure that she's on future episodes. <laughs> she will be back and she will be talking with us again. But while she's in Italy, Elise was nice enough to come on and join us. You're welcome. Thank you. 
You're welcome, listeners. <laughs> so today we're talking with Chef Chris Holland, who was on Chopped a couple years ago. He actually won in uh, season 34, and he now has a restaurant uh, called The Divine Bar, and it's down in around uh, New York, New Jersey area. And he talks with us about some really cool stuff, including his diagnosis with multiple sclerosis and what he's done to support the National MS Society, which is just a charity organization that does some amazing things for people with MS and helps fund a lot of research and holds different events and stuff. So really cool that he's able to raise some money for them and have a voice to spread their word as well. So it's a really cool conversation. I think you guys will enjoy it. I know we had fun. We talked about cooking seafood with Twinkies at the end. So Oh, yeah. We won't give away too much information <laughs> on that. But uh... Hot dogs and mac and cheese. Yeah. <laughs> We learned a lot in this episode. We just lost <laughs> 10 listeners from that comment, at least. Thanks. Edit that out. And we're switching to another episode. Anyone who anyone who comes to the show to, to learn about seafood and the seafood industry, I, I think they just expect to hear a little bit about mac and cheese with Oscar Mayer Wiener. So I think... Uh, <laughs> shout out to Oscar Mayer. At some point. At some point, it was bound to come out. So, All right. Well, anyway, we'll get into it. I don't want to talk too long, but uh, enjoy the episode, and we'll talk to you at the end. Ciao. Bye. Welcome to the Aquademia Podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. Sitting down today with Chef Chris Holland, and if you recognize that name, it may be because if you watch, what is it? Food Network. Chopped. <laughs> Chopped. Yeah. If you if you watch Food Network, you may have seen him on Chopped. You were actually on a few episodes. Yeah, I was on a couple of years ago. Um, they had a tournament with Alton Brown. Um, I was on two episodes. I won that tournament, uh, and then I was on again recently a couple weeks ago. Yeah, so Chris came to my attention because... I follow the Multiple Sclerosis Society on Facebook and they were they posted a picture of you and said how you were competing actually that day to try and win $10,000 to donate to them in a was like a champion of champions kind of round Thanksgiving themed uh, episode. And so I made sure to tune into that and you took that one home too. So that was pretty cool to watch in real time. And then Chris agreed to come on the show with us. So pretty special having you here. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. So I wanted to talk about a couple things. I assuming you haven't listened to the show before, but we are from a sustainable seafood advocacy group. Our job here at Aquademia is to just get people to feel more comfortable buying and eating seafood, whether it's wild caught or farm raised. We just want people to eat more seafood and make sure that it's sustainable and make good choices around that. So we have interviewed a number of chefs and you are joining our arsenal of chefs here at Aquademia. So we like to talk to different chefs about kind of what they look for when they're buying seafood and what if they have any recommendations for cooking and maybe getting seafood, more seafood into your diet in easy ways. And we'll get into all that stuff. But first, I want to hear your story and kind of how you got to where you are because you have a super interesting story and one that I can relate to personally that we can get into. So why don't you just give us a quick uh, background on yourself? All right, as quick as I can, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. Um, so I was—I haven't been a chef my whole life. I didn't um, i didn't start my career as a chef. I went to a traditional four years college and uh, you know started the whole office life. And um, I was actually studying for the, the test to get into law school. Um, and then, uh, one day I woke up and I couldn't feel my legs. 
And um, it kind of threw my entire um, existence into turmoil, basically. Um, I obviously went to the doctor, diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, as, as you know. And, um, you know, from there, I, I call them kind of the dark years. I had some difficulty coping. Uh, with the diagnosis, I went through a lot of denial and anger and all that fun stuff. And um, I started living a pretty terrible life for a few years. And uh, basically, the career went out the toilet. You know, all my friends disappeared. My fault. You know, basically, my entire life fell apart. About 10 years ago, I put things back together. And um, once I was stable enough, I got back into working in the legal profession where I was. And uh, one one day I came home from work and I sat down on the couch and I said to my wife, I think I'm really good at this cooking thing and I want to give it a shot. And if I don't give it a shot now, I'll regret it for the rest of my life. And um, she basically said, go for it. You know, if this is what you want to do, do it. And um, I walked into a kitchen and the place was looking for a chef. They couldn't pay him any money. And I took the job and I worked for free for about six months, but it was a good education. Oh, I had to learn how to actually be a chef, like while being a chef. It's an internship. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was basically an internship, but I was in charge of the kitchen, which was not really, you know, it wasn't Trial it was, by fire, the man. hardest you thing by I've doing. ever done. <laughs> yes, yes. My, the first time the health inspector came, she basically had to teach me how to you know, how to do the kitchen the right way because I had no clue at all. And uh, we did well there. I did well there. The place got a cult following, but it couldn't pay its bills. And eventually it went belly up. But before it did, I got hooked up with Divine Bar, which is where I'm currently at. And I got in there and um, we've had a lot of success. I think we're one of the most popular restaurants, you know, in this area. I would say we're probably the best restaurant within many miles of where we are. And you're and not biased at all about that either, so. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not at all. But uh, a couple of years ago, I got uh, invited to um, compete on the Chopped Out and Challenge. I had auditioned a whole bunch of times, and I guess one of the things that caught their attention was I'm really into food science, and um, that's Alton Brown's thing. He's probably the reason I'm into food science. He's basically my idol, my mentor, whatever you want to call him. Uh, and I had the opportunity to actually cook for him, which was uh, amazing. You know, they ask the question a lot, you know, name three people living or dead that you want to have dinner with. He's one of my three, and I actually got to cook him dinner twice. So um, that was pretty cool, and uh, I won really that cool. tournament, and that gave me sort of a sort of a platform to do some charity work and things like that. I've gotten involved with the MS Society on on a small scale, doing the walks and stuff like that. I work with a lot of local hospitals and schools, and um, you know, and then when this one came along, I had the opportunity to compete for a charity that obviously means a lot to me because it does a lot for the MS community. I know when I started off doing when I when I got diagnosed, I think there was three medicines on the market for MS, and now there's like 30 of them, which is amazing, and they're a big part of why that that is. So I wanted to give back to them. So. Absolutely. I so hope did, that was quick enough. <laughs> yeah, no, the, you don't need to worry about being quick with us. We're here. <laughs> did Food Network approach you about that? About, about which on, one? About coming on to the to the one you did recently, the charity one. Yeah, they reached out to me and they said we're doing a we're doing a charity episode and we're bringing back you know some of our not to make my head look too big, but some of our favorite champions that we've ever had. So I guess I'm one of their favorite ones. And <laughs> their words, not yours. That's all you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, I, I think they kind of assumed I was going to play for MS, and that makes for good TV and all that stuff. So you know, it's not yeah. it's not just my charming personality. It's also <laughs> 
Well, it makes for good TV. Well, before we get into um, seafood and food and stuff, I, I want to talk a little bit more on uh, on the MS thing because our listeners don't know. I don't think I've mentioned it on our show, but I also have been diagnosed with MS. When I was 25, I got diagnosed. And I'm interested to see kind of what your experience is like because MS is very personal for a lot of people. And it's different. The symptoms are completely different from time to time or from, uh, you know, from patient to patient. So I'm, if you're, if you're willing to share a little bit, I'd be interested to see kind of what your journey was like with that and what's kind of how those difficulties kind of helped you get to where you are. I know you gave kind of a quick synopsis on that, but yeah, my, my, my disease, like, I don't know if it's, you know, I mean, obviously they call it the snowflake disease, so it's different for every single person. For me, I, I was diagnosed early because I had two attacks simultaneously. I mentioned the legs going numb, and I also started to go blind in my left eye at the same time. So mine was sort of a quick diagnosis. It was fast. My biggest memory from that is I had gone to my primary doctor, and um, she said she was writing me a referral, referral to see a neurologist. And I didn't have a cell phone back then. That's how old I am. But I left the doctor and by the time I got home, my doctor had called and left a message at my home telling me to go to the emergency room that a neurologist was going to wait, was going to be there waiting for me. Hmm. And, you know, I'm sure there are scarier phone calls than that, but I can't imagine many. That was one of the scariest moments of my life when I heard that message from my doctor. And after that, you know, the, the initial, the initial hit. Uh, came and um, I don't want to get too deep into this because I just think it'll take up too much time. It's not that I don't want to share it, but basically what happened to me was I went and you know I um, I mentioned the dark times. Essentially, I found out that when you have a lesion on your spinal cord, that it's really easy to get drugs, and drugs are a really easy way to forget about your problems. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what happened to me. And um, I was put on medicine. The side effects were horrible, and um, I went off of it quickly. And really had no treatment for about seven or eight years. Wow. And now being a being a father now and having a three-year-old kid, I really regret that I didn't have any treatment for seven or eight years because the disease progressed. Even though I didn't notice things, I, I have lesions from those years that I wasn't uh, treating it. And um, I was really sort of just living my life. And um, one day I came home from vacation at work, got in bed and had a seizure. And since then was diagnosed with MS induced epilepsy. Oh, wow. So that's that's really fun. I've had a couple of episodes since then. I, I had uh, the left side of my body go numb once. Nothing that, you know, for your listeners, they treat that with steroids, high-dose steroids, which hopefully they work. And so far, they, they've worked pretty well. Yeah, they make um, you feel like death, though. <laughs> oh, they're horrible. They make for me. I get. I can't stop eating, but everything I eat tastes like pennies. So yeah, that, like that metallic taste. That, catch twenty-two. That's yeah. true. So, for our listeners, I actually want to catch them up a little bit. You mentioned lesions uh, in your brain, and so in case our listeners aren't really sure, they don't might not know too much about MS. Just a quick rundown of kind of how it works. The way that I've had it described to me that I think is the easiest way to follow is like an electrical wire. So. If you think of the neurons in in your brain as all being connected by electrical wires, then the rubber protector of that wire is something that we call the myelin sheath. And it's an autoimmune disease. And so what happens is your own white blood cells start attacking that myelin sheath. So it's like scraping away at the rubber coating around the wire. And once that is damaged, then the actual important part of the wire is exposed and could be damaged. And so when you get lesions in your brain, it's like a cluster of white blood cells that are kind of attacking that part of of those neurons. And so depending on where those lesions are in your brain, you could have different side effects, which is why, like you said, it's the snowflake. Like you had something that caused your entire left side of your body to be numb, which is actually exactly what happened to me too on my right side. And then I've also had 
some in a different part that's in more motor where I lost all of the strength on one side of my body. I couldn't walk. I couldn't lift an, a pen, you know, off the table. So um, it's different every time. And so the medications try to, a lot of them try to contain your white blood cells so they don't kind of just go willy nilly into your brain and start attacking things. So quick neurology lesson for, <laughs> for our, our seafood industry listeners. But um, and the just, scary part is you never know if it's going to come back. That's the you know they can yeah. treat it with the steroids, but you never know whether the steroids are going to work or not. Sometimes it's just too damaged to work again. Yeah, yeah. it's a it's really it's a really strange disease because you could just you just wake up in the morning and try to take a step and fall over because you don't have any strength in your legs or you know you never know what's going to happen. So I would agree that it's amazing how many medications are out there now. And you're right, a lot of that is due to the National MS Society. I owe a lot to them too. I've done a lot of the um, walks and the mud runs and the bike races and stuff, and they just do amazing things. And I'm very grateful for them too. So pretty cool that we have that connection there. And I'd like to kind of reach out to them too and see if maybe they'll share some of this, some of, uh, maybe share this episode or some of the info we're getting out there. And actually, yeah, that'd be great. I found an article from MS News Today talking about a balanced diet and eating healthy if you have MS. And the first thing on their list for balanced diet is fish high in omega-3 fatty acids like salmon, herring, mackerel, tuna, sardines, and lake trout. Look at that. That's a segue right there. So Good check job. that out. <laughs> <laughs> this is my job, Chris, remember? That's why he's paid the big bucks. <laughs> This is what I do. And so, you know, there there is a there's a, a connection there. So that's a, a, what one of the reasons we wanted to have you on here. And you when I talked to you initially, you said that you love cooking with fish. It's one of your favorite ingredients to cook with, yeah? It absolutely is. I I think it gives cooks the most freedom of any protein because most fish is it's not I don't want to say bland because that's not fair to fish, but it's you can play with it. You can play with the flavors and it gives you a chance to really do some fun stuff with sauces and, and accompaniments and you know, maybe it's not healthy, but butter and fish to me is like a perfect marriage that love each other so much. And I love butter, you know, so f fish as a chef to me, it's a blank canvas. It really is. When I'm cooking with something like steak, there's not much I really want to do to it because it has its own flavor. And when people order a steak, they want to eat steak. I find that when people order fish, they really want to taste my sauce that's going with the fish. So for me, it's, I have the freedom to basically do almost anything. I mean, obviously there are some constraints. You don't want to totally overpower the fish, but you, you get a chance to really you know, show your culinary chops when you're dealing with a, a fish product. So I have a lot of fish on my menu. We do, you know, nightly at Divine Bar, we have a cast iron fish, which is cooked in a cast iron pan in a 900 degree pizza oven, uh, which is, you know, people really love that. You know, we always put it with a vegetable and sometimes a starch. And then there's the fish on top with a nice sauce around it. And that changes every single day. It's probably the most popular item on our menu. It's one of the few things on our menu that's been on the menu since the day we opened. We also have lobster on our menu, which to me is, that's my favorite food in the entire world. Um, <laughs> Main scallops lobster, right? is main absolutely I, I don't eat that warm water crap it only <laughs> cold water main lobster we're always highlighting seafood i always have four or five seafood options on the menu pretty much at all times now i'm just thinking about oh, butter thinking and lobster, lobster. <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> i've been distracted by food <laughs> i have a question actually sure when you so when you look to source your ingredients how do you decide I uh, guess who to supply the fish and what do you look at from like a sustainability perspective? One of the biggest things to me when it comes to buying a fish and if I could impart anything to your listeners, it's it's to have a good relationship with your seafood purveyor. Me and my seafood purveyor are 
really have become very good friends. I've been using the same guy for five years. His, you know, if I could give a little plug to his company, it's called Off the Hook, and they're based out of New Jersey. He uses sustainable products for the most part. I mean, he does carry some things like salmon and stuff that I know there's a little bit of pushback on, but he gets most of his stuff local whenever possible. It's local. And as far as freshness goes, I depend on him to tell me what he's got good. He goes to Hunt's Point regularly and, you know, he goes to the market and he sees what's good and he will text me when he has, um, you know, something that he knows I really like. Blackfish is my favorite fish in the world. So whenever he's got blackfish in, I'm the first person he calls. I know I'm always getting a good product from him. The Maybe in five years, the two times where I've gotten a fish that I looked at and it's a little bit cloudy looking or has its slightly slightly fishy smell. If I call him up, he immediately you know, replaces it or comes and gets it or doesn't charge me for it. So as far as freshness goes, if, you know, just in general, I look at fish that it shouldn't really have an odor. And if it has an odor, you really shouldn't be, you know, if it smells fishy, you shouldn't really be eating it. And it should look, it should look clean for lack of a better term. It should be sort of dry and sticky a little bit on the outside. If you're questioning it at all, you probably shouldn't be eating it. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, a good rule of thumb for most foods. Yeah. I was going to say yeah. for most ingredients, that's probably a, a smart way to look at it. I think the the blank canvas thing is something that comes up a lot with a lot of chefs we talk to. Yeah, absolutely. Like because I think there's so much you can do with seafood is so robust outside of chicken and right. steak where it's there's one so many thing, options. one thing to do, one or a few things to do with it where seafood is so many different species and so many different sides and sauces and things you can do with them. Yeah. Do you find it difficult? Like when you, if you're throwing like something, some other, I don't know, like there's so many different things choices when it comes to seafood in general we're not just talking about whitefish or lobster the, the, you know do you ever kind of get overwhelmed with all, with the choices or try to always think of something new to try or kind of what's your what's your approach to mixing it up a little bit well i like to whenever i hear you know i with with my seafood vendor when i when I, you know, every night I call up and he has a recording of the different fish that are on the special. And if I hear one I've never heard of before, I order it because I, I you know, I want to, I want to broaden myself and try different things. I think part of being a chef is opening yourself up to different proteins and different products and just trying them out. And, you know, sometimes you, you buy one that you, you eat and you're like, wow, I really don't like this. But, you know, sometimes you find one that you've never heard of before and you're like, wow, this is absolutely delicious. And it becomes sort of a new dish in your repertoire. So I'm very big on that, not with just, just with fish, but with all ingredients that if I've never heard of it, it's something that I want to try. Hmm. And I, you know, I never know whether I'm going to like it or not, but sometimes you find just something absolutely amazing that you never even thought you'd like. And all of a sudden it becomes something you're serving, you know, every once in a while as a special, like once a month as a special. Nice. Do you have an example of that? What's something that surprised you that you'd never heard of? There was one, I think it's from South America, Paku, I think is the name of Paku, it. Paku, yeah, actually, Amazonian the, the Paku. ribs. Yeah, it's like it, it was I heard Paku ribs and I'm like, what the hell is that? Like I gotta try that. And and then all of a sudden I'm like, wow, I'm like I'm sitting here and I'm eating a plate of ribs, but it's not pork, it's fish. This is really cool. And and now every time I hear that as a special, it's something I order because I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. That's kinda cool. And it, it, I didn't know you could amazing have the ribs. <laughs> and I'm usually not a fan of freshwater fish, but those were good. Yeah, I think Paku is related to piranhas actually. I think it's similar oh. similar but Way bigger. <laughs> it's a much bigger fish. Yes. I mean, yeah. you get a lot of ribs out of a small little piranha-sized fish. Yeah, no. <laughs> cool, cool. What is, I'm just, I, I feel like you talked about the science of cooking and, and the science of food and the science of flavor. That's not something that anyone has actually brought up 
on here yet. Has it? Has do you know of anyone? No, no. <laughs> Can you like what's the science behind seafood in your mind? If you were to to say, okay, I'm gonna t- take this dish from a scientific approach. Wh- where does your mind go when you start thinking about the science of the flavor of different seafoods? Well, just in cooking seafood. I mean, part of when I when I talk about science and cooking, it's essentially the application of heat to protein and what happens to protein when you apply heat. So when you're talking about fish specifically, you know, fish is, is usually dense in protein, low in fat, which means the heat is going to travel through it very, very, very fast. It also has a decent sugar content, so you can get that caramelization on the outside of it. So when I'm thinking about fish, I'm thinking about 99 times out of 100 with fish, I'm thinking about cooking it really hot and really fast and getting that heat to go through it and cook it all the way through before I lose all of the water that's inside of the fish so that, you know, a dry, nasty fish, which I'm sure everyone, unfortunately, in their life at one point has eaten and it's not very good. It's like every time I cook fish. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that that's to me the biggest part of fish is when you're cooking when you when you're talking about science it's it's really how you're going to apply the heat and you need, you know, hot and fast cooking on on the fish and that's where you know, I, I'm lucky enough in my kitchen to have an 850 degree oven where I put cast iron pans in there and they sit in there for four hours. You know, you put a fillet of fish on that and it's going to cook pretty rapidly. Yeah. Now, that being said, if you're cooking a piece of striped bass that's about two inches, you know, two inches, three inches thick, you've got to bring up the internal temperature of that fish slowly and then sear the outside. Otherwise, you're going to run into a problem of having a cooked outside and then a raw inside, you know. So also that with sounds fish, okay would, for beef for me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, with beef it's fish. great. Maybe tuna yeah. you can get away with it. But, that's true. Yeah, um, if you get that sashimi, sashimi grade tuna. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, then also, you know, science-wise, you know, I'm big into curing. We make our own lox at the restaurant. We make our own smoked salmon at the restaurant. And uh, now you're getting into a chemical reaction. You know, we use sugar, salt, and curing salt is our basic mixture. And then, you know, that draws the moisture out of the fish, seasons it, draws the moisture out, and essentially preserves it. You know, that's something that you could do with seafood as well, which is, is always fun to do. It's cool. Yeah, you know, we made it. tuna pastrami before, which is really, I what? think it's delicious. <laughs> How do you do that? How do you make tuna pastrami? Uh, you cure it, and then you cold smoke it, and you got mm. yourself tuna pastrami. You got that, Justin? <laughs> I would definitely try that. Get on it. Make three parts, <laughs> three, what is it, three cups of uh, kosher salt, two cups of white sugar, one tablespoon of curing salt, and then whatever seasoning you want to impart into it. We do like black peppercorns, caraway seeds, coriander. I'm glad we do this after lunch. This is where you insert <laughs> an audio clip that says, challenge, challenge, challenge. Yeah. <laughs> and we need uh, a couple of our listeners to attempt this and send us a picture. Yeah, or come here and do it for us, and then we can try it. That's true. <laughs> it's healthy too. Well, of course it's fish. So try it. This episode is going to come out in a couple of weeks before or right in the midst of the holidays. So we thought it might be kind of fun to kind of talk about some tips and tricks because I think a lot of people who are not eating seafood regularly, they definitely tend to avoid it around the holidays. Do you have any tips on how to incorporate some seafood into your holiday meals or festivities? Outside of the shrimp cocktail. Outside of shrimp a, cocktail, yeah, the popular one. Uh, I mean, shrimp and, 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 is and my favorite. Fish. Though, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will. Uh, I just wanted to share with you guys too. Uh, my family does something really interesting for Thanksgiving, which I'm sure you guys would appreciate. About five years ago, I told my wife I hate turkey and I love Thanksgiving, but I never look forward to the dinner. So she said, well, what do you want to do about it? And I said, I want to have lobsters for Thanksgiving. Yeah. So that's what we do in my house. You we can have stuff lobster, lobster just saying. Yes, yeah. you can. 
I love it. Have you seen um, that thing yeah. online where it's like someone took a turkey and put like a bunch of snow crab legs or king crab legs sticking out of it with a big <laughs> that with, sounds with some delicious. octopus tentacles turkey, and isn't that called a tur crabbin? I don't know. It looks yeah, tur tur kraken. I think they called it. Nice because it had it had a bunch of uh, octopus tentacles coming out of it too. It looked pretty awesome. <laughs> How many species can we stuff yeah. into one meal? Uh, America. <laughs> so you, so you were probably weren't a big fan of the uh, the fiery hot Cheetos turkey thing then that they did, huh? No, no, it was disgusting. It was it was already cooked garbage. It was like it was an overcooked turkey covered in garbage. That's what it was. But but it matched your hair um, so well. It it did it did I I you know I, I like what I did with it I thought I, I thought I handled it pretty well as far as you were asking <laughs> about uh, tips for home cooks I think everybody out there should look up Enpapiat if they're gonna or I don't know if I pronounced that correctly but when you wrap the fish in wax paper you know basically you take a whole you can get a whole side of salmon or a whole side of another fish that you like and basically you put it in put it on top of a piece of parchment paper you put some lemon on it some I would put a ton of butter on top of it your seasoning, some thyme. There's all kinds of recipes out there on the internet. You wrap it up and you put it into like a 350 degree oven for 45 minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes. And you don't have to, you know, you take it out, you put it on a platter and everybody can serve themselves. And it's a wonderful way to get fish into your meal. Easy peasy. You know, it takes about 10 minutes to put together and then you don't have to worry about it. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the more that we do these shows and meet chefs and since, I mean, I would eat, Seafood. I probably eat more seafood than the average person, but the, the biggest oh, yeah, we roadblock have to. It's a, is it's a requirement it's, for our job. <laughs> <laughs> well, the biggest roadblock that you hear uh, non-fish eaters is how complicated it is. You don't want to screw it up. And what I've come across more often than not is how many fish species you can cook so quickly and so easily. And there's always a palate for those who maybe have had a trout, which they may say is, tastes a little bit on that. I'm doing air quotes for our listeners. Fishy. Yeah. taste but there's more mild fillets of fish out there that you can just set and forget and then in 20 minutes you have a meal for your family pour a glass of wine absolutely yeah. absolutely especially i mean especially a lot of the white flesh ocean fish i mean i i find it hard to believe when someone says for example like i don't like halibut well i mean really you don't what is what is it about it that you don't like it's such a neutral soft flavor that i don't i don't know how somebody could not like it i or hate it I, I can see how it's not your first choice. Maybe you prefer, maybe you're a steak eater and you prefer to eat steak, but I find it hard to believe when someone doesn't, when they say they don't like fish, I think they just haven't tried a lot of fishes because, or a lot of fish, what's the plural of fish? Is it fish or fish? It's fish. Well, it's fish. I think, I think I, fishes is when you're referring to species. Well, then yeah. I guess I used it correctly there. because I, I was. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Keeps your editing easy. Can we fact, sure. can we fact check that? <laughs> Do we have a clip? cool well i'm do you guys have any any other questions before we do our our fun final uh bit Uh, i'm a little curious this is going to backtrack the very beginning of the show and i should have asked it earlier but how do you find out about auditions to be on chop like how does that come across one's doorstep do you have to be Uh, a huge fan well you have to you you actually like proactively have to look for it you have to apply Mm -hmm. um so they always have an application online because they've made something like a thousand shows now or something yeah. like that. So they always constantly have an application for that online. So I know I applied for it like four or five times before they finally called me for an audition. Uh, mm-hmm. Then you got to trek into Manhattan for the audition, which I hate going into Manhattan, <laughs> but I yeah. did it. Did you have and to then, actually cook at the audition? No, no. 
they're really looking for your personality. I guess they, they do a background check on you first to see whether or not you're good enough to be on the show. So I guess they look up your restaurant, wherever you work, what the reviews are. Gotcha. And then it's pretty much personality they're looking for. I didn't get a call back after my first audition because my son was born the day before my first audition. So oh, when I went in there, I was on like one hour of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't exactly Mr. Personality, but then I got called back for another audition and that's when I got on. This last time I didn't have to audition though. Well, yeah. Not when you get called back. It makes, makes you feel pretty important, huh? Well, I thought I had a chance yeah. because they don't look at recipes. So my mac and cheese <laughs> with Oscar Mayer wieners cut up into it may actually have, they don't need to know about so that. so sophisticated. But... <laughs> that doesn't sound bad actually. That sounds like something I would eat for dinner. <laughs> I bet your kids love it. Well, that's where, yeah. Oh, yeah. Kids. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, that's great. You got to make some for your kids that you, that you enjoy. <laughs> we'll throw because you'll end up eating it you. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, sh- we'll ship it to you snail mail. It'll probably still be exactly the same by the time yeah, I guess. Yeah, it'll still taste just as good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. All right. So we won't keep you for too much longer, but um, every time we have a chef on, we like to do something a little bit fun at the end. And this is going to be easy for you because this is what you do. But we like to each pick a random ingredient and throw it at you and then see what you would do with it off the top of your head. Like I I said, it's basically chopped. (laughs) (laughs) But we won't throw any insects or anything in there quite yet. So. No tarantula. No tarantula. Yeah. Was that? What was that like? That's weird. It tasted like nothing. It no. really tasted like nothing. Ooh. You could eat it, and you wouldn't even if you didn't know it was tarantula. You would just think it was like a stale Cheeto or something. <laughs> well, that's good to know. Never eat Cheetos again. Yeah. Um, was that my two-year-old? Uh... Was that the strangest ingredient you've ever worked with, or what, what's the the strangest ingredient? Yeah, I, I would say that was probably that was probably the weirdest one. Although turkey testicles would give it a run for its money, <laughs> so it's it's a toss up between tarantula and turkey testicles. Ooh, yeah. That's oh, the, there, there's the title of the episode. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Tarantulas and turkey testicles. Oh man! Yeah, all of a sudden the show just blows up. Uh, all right, <laughs> happy holidays, everybody. It's gonna go viral. Enjoy your tarantula and turkey testicles. All right. So, do you guys? You guys think of an ingredient, think of pull something out. Do you want to go first? Well, just like I've this never pe- done this before, so is We're there any rhyme a... or reason to any of this? <laughs> no. Okay. That's great. what makes it fun. Are you gonna do the species, Sean? I don't is it that... doesn't matter to me. If you have a species that you would like to see what he does with. I okay. I would go with monkfish. 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 I love monkfish. Oh, uh, so. well, that's monkfish. why I used it. Well monkfish. The, well, hold on, hold on, because we gotta get a we oh, got a couple uh do you have something? I don't know. I was going to go with gefilte fish just because we talked about it at lunch today. But Okay, oh, use that. I was going to say cabbage. That's so. not a species, though. That's not fair. It's like a, it's like a, yeah, that's okay. Oh, so right. so monkfish, and then I'll say um, Twinkies. What? What? Yeah. How? Who cares? Let him figure it out. He's the chef. I was going to say avocado because I'm, I'm a basic millennial. So. Oh, there you go. Okay. Just throw it on some toast. So I, I, I have to put all of these into one dish? If, if you can. If you're oh, okay. up to the challenge. Unless you want to get chopped. Oh! <laughs> so that avocados. It says a lot about a lot about the two of you that one picked avocados and one picked Twinkies. So just gonna... Hey, I had, a, I had a delicious salad for lunch. It's very healthy lunch. It was a Twinkie salad. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of the last time I had a Twinkie, but they are so good, aren't they? <laughs> so let's say I, th- I think I think you could actually I, you're gonna you're gonna think this is crazy, but I think you could actually make sort of a play on a Berblanc with a Twinkie. You know, you could reduce the wine down and add the Twinkie to it with some butter, and then you would need something to cancel out a little bit of the the sweetness of the Twinkie. So maybe like a lot of lemon and a little bit of uh, maybe garlic. Not I mean, maybe not garlic. Some charred shallots and some burnt shallots 
in a Berblanc with a Twinkie and a lot of lemon juice. Maybe the uh, the monkfish, you know, sautéed on the top of it. Maybe um, on the bottom, I guess, a piece of toast with the avocado spread on top of it. The monkfish down and then drizzled with a little bit of the Twinkie charred shallot for Blanc. <laughs> this is amazing. That actually sounds amazing. Every time we do this, it, it truly shows how I could never be a chef because of the scientific, the 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 profiling that goes in with, you know, D sweetening the Twinkie and all the thought that goes into that I, is so far above my head that there's no way I could do it. I would have just mat- blended it all together. It's just like, all right, disgusting. it's a smoothie. It's, it's, it's a smoothie. It's your Twinkie Monkfish smoothie. It's possible. And it would be green, too, because of the avocados. It's just so dis- – that's disgusting, uh, Justin. Don't do that. You're the one that threw a Twinkie on, on this party. And do you see where it went? That, this is why we do actual sounds dish. real good. Can you feature it for the, for the holidays? I challenge you to do that uh, and submit that to the Food Network as well. <laughs> Next time you so get on one of those shows, if they, give you, if they give you the option to use a Twinkie, this, this is what you got to do with it. I love it. If I ever write a cookbook, it'll be chapter one, and I'll dedicate it to you guys. I love it. Ooh, yeah. Love it. I remember that we are recording. We got that on tape. <laughs> awesome. So, Chris, anything else that you want to get out there? I mean, what's uh, if people want to contact you, is there a way for them to do that? Or, Justin, do you get it? I was going to say, there's a lot of links that we can throw in these show notes from the restaurant to... I, I, like Sean said, any way that we can, the best way for any of our listeners to contact you, what's um, I'm, in, I'm on Instagram at Chef Chris Holland. That's probably the best way to get in touch with me. I have a Perfect. Facebook page, but I don't really check it that often. I'm right. pretty active on Instagram. And okay. um, my restaurant does too at Divine Bar. Divine Bar is the name of it, D-V-I-N-E Bar. And if you have any local people from the New York area, we're in Spark Hill, New York, which is on the other side of the Hudson River, so we get forgotten about a lot. But we're, we're right here for you, Jersey folks, too. Yeah, that's um, I said. I said it on our earlier phone call. I'll uh, make sure my sister goes and checks it out because she's in Fairlawn. So yeah, she's, she's, she's very close. close. She's very close. So I'll, I'll expect to see her soon. Maybe you can come visit her, and you can come in. You know what? See? I, Look at that. I will. I'll plan on. I'll <laughs> let you know next time I go down to to see her. Absolutely. Very 100%. cool. Very cool. Um. So again, really want to say. You know, thank you for everything that you're doing in regards to the MS awareness and working with the National MS Society and stuff. You know, they they do amazing things and we're all very grateful for everything that they do. And we're grateful that you're able to help them out and spread the word. And I'm going to try to do as much as I can, too, but I don't really have an audience (laughs) outside (laughs) of seafood. So so we appreciate, you know, when people like yourself get an opportunity to have a little bit of a voice in uh, in public spaces that you take advantage of that. So thanks for doing that, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I just I just, you know, the only I, I never thought in a million years that I would sort of have any sort of platform with a disease that at one point in my life I hated more than like like than anything in the world. But you know, the, the feedback I've gotten from the community and I, you know, I just, not that I'm strong or anything like that. It's, that's not what it's about. I, I just want people to see that I'm up there doing what I love. And, and you sound like you're doing what you love too, because when I was 24 and I was diagnosed, I thought my life was over and I was never going to do anything again that mattered to me. And, you know, now I'm living my life every day and I'm doing what I love to do every single day. And it's just a wonderful thing. And I don't want especially people who are just diagnosed. I want them to know that their life is still in front of them, that they can still can have what they want in life. They don't have to give it up because of this stupid disease. 100%. Yeah. Well said. And I think the MS Society does a really good job of spreading that positivity to MS patients and 
especially people who are newly diagnosed, because I think there is a lot of positivity in the community and people are really good to each other. They, they take care of each other. So if you have MS and you would like to reach out to us and share your story or learn more about why you should eat more seafood, you can contact us at podcast at aquaculturealliance.org, or you can find us on Twitter at Aquademia Pod. So again, we're talking with Chef Chris Holland today. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll talk to you again. We'll stay in touch. Thank you for having me and I hope you do. Yep. Have a great day, guys. You too. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye. Folks, that was our conversation with Chef Chris Holland. As always, hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned something. Hope you're going to make some Twinkie Monkfish. And uh, I definitely want to see if anyone tries that how it comes out please tweet at us yeah send us a picture <laughs> yeah and a, a very detailed description of how it tastes <laughs> please don't it sounded good when he was talking about it no well, that's true I mean, yeah it did sound when good. a chef talks about food it always sounds good he could be like let it's me, so true let me tell you about this like hard tech yeah but that's you know it's, all, it's also the same when your computer busts and someone from IT comes to take a look at it and whips out all these technical terms. You're like, I don't know what you're talking about, but it sounds like you know what you're doing, yeah. so just just fix it. Exactly. <laughs> I think it's more than that, though, with Jeff. I don't think he was just using big words. Maybe he was using big words. Just That's what you think. Make us feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I, I also talked about that in the episode is just how impressive it is, the science and the, the way that chefs think when they get specific ingredients and kind of go on the fly and think, okay, I can use this over here and this over there and throw that in the trash and then uh, cut that over there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks, before we bore you anymore on our outro, a couple ways you can contact us through email, podcast at aquaculturealliance.org. Follow us on Twitter. Send us a shout out. Send us pictures of your monkfish recipe at aquademiapod. Or give us a call. Leave us a voicemail at one six zero three three eight four three five six zero. Do it up. And since this is in the middle of the holiday seasons, I hope you enjoy some seafood with your holiday festivities. And I hope everybody has a safe, happy, and healthy holiday season. Absolutely. From all of us here at the Aquademia Podcast. And to all a good night. And to all a good night. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. Elise, thanks for joining us again. And I'm sure we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, guys. All right. Bye-bye.